Well, praise the Lord, everybody. I am Evangelist Janice Nelson, and I want to welcome you to season two of Broken Vessels, Mended and Whole, a weekly women's Bible study podcast. Today is Sabbath Sunday, June 12th, the year of our Lord, 2022. In this Bible study podcast, we address various issues that break the spirit of women and then seek to promote women's spiritual wholeness and well-being with lessons learned from the Word of God. Ladies, sometimes people accuse Christians of being unrealistic about the issues of life, but that is not true. We are not blind to reality or deaf to the hostile and destructive forces around us. On the contrary, we open our arms to these formidable forces and invite them to come forward because we know in our heart that they will never defeat God or succeed in separating us from his love in Jesus Christ. But will one day, although formidable, bow before the presence of our God. When we come back, we are going to talk about how nothing can separate us from Christ's love. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Broken Vessels, Mended and Whole. Today, we are talking about how nothing can separate us from Christ's love. Our scripture reading is taken from the book of Psalms, chapter 114, verses 1 through 8. And I will be reading from the New International Version of the Bible if you want to follow along with the scripture reading. Now, beginning in the book of Psalms, chapter 114, at verse 1, the word of God says, When Israel came out of Egypt, Jacob from a people of foreign tongue, Judah became God's sanctuary. Israel, his dominion. The sea looked and fled. The Jordan turned back. The mountains leaped like rams, the hills like lambs. Why was it, sea, that you fled? Why, Jordan, did you turn back? Why, mountains, did you leap like rams, you hills like lambs? Tremble, earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turned the rock into a pool, the hard rock, into springs of water. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and to the hearing of his word. Amen. Ladies, this Psalm 114 is majestic. It has a fresh, exuberant tone, and its focus is on the Exodus as an astonishing event. Derek Kinder said, it is as startling as a clap of thunder, as shattering as an earthquake. Psalm 114 is the second of the six praise songs known as the Egyptian Hallel. It is comprised of four stanzas, and its tone has been compared to the hymn, 
onward Christian soldiers. However, here the triumph is not that of God's people, but of God himself. God is going before his people and it is before him that the seas draw back and the mountains skip like rams. So let's unpack Psalm 114. Ladies, every stanza of this psalm is extraordinary in its own way. The, and what is extraordinary about the first stanza is this depiction of Judah as God's sanctuary and Israel as his dominion. It is important to note that the names Judah and Israel are not used in this psalm to mean two different parts of the nation as it existed following the split into the northern and southern kingdoms in the time of Rehoboam. But rather, the two names represent one people that came out of Egypt at the Exodus. And this one people is openly and formally declared to be both the sanctuary of God and God's kingdom. When God came down at Mount Sinai, and took up a symbolic residence in the form of the Shekinah glory that filled the wilderness tab uh, tabernacle and later the temple of Solomon in Jerusalem, Israel literally became God's sanctuary or holy place, set apart by God's presence. So since God came not just to be among his people, but to rule them also, the nation of Israel became his special dominion or kingdom. No other nation anywhere was ever God's sanctuary. And Israel's experience was the fulfillment of the promise of God that was spoken at Mount Sinai as recorded in Exodus 19 verse 6, which says, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. No other nation on the face of this earth has ever been constituted a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. However, there is a people that has been, and that people is the church. As the people of God, we are made God's sanctuary and kingdom by the very presence of God in our midst. And Peter's first letter, he wrote to the church this way. He said, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Ladies, you might ask, how do we, the church, become God's sanctuary and dominion? Well, we become a royal priesthood because of the presence of the Holy Spirit in the heart of and life of every Christian. We become a dominion because of Jesus's rule over us as our king. You see, Jesus is our high priest. And by his sacrifice of himself for us, Jesus became both the sacrifice and the priest who offered himself as the sacrifice. And he continues as our high priest 
in heaven by interceding for us before the throne of God the Father. This is exemplified in Jesus' intercession for Peter. You might remember that Peter had boasted that although the other disciples might forsake Jesus, he, Peter, never would. He boasted that he would stand by Jesus and be faithful no matter what. However, in Luke chapter 22, verses 31 through 32, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Later that same evening, when Jesus was arrested and Peter was challenged by the courtyard high priest, he was so frightened that he denied even knowing Jesus, not just once or even twice, but three times because his faith failed. When what Peter had done became clear to him, he was so humiliated that the Bible says he went outside and wept bitterly. This was no doubt a humbling experience for Peter, who was so sure of himself and of his faith at the time. But it was a much stronger Peter who bowed before the Lord in Galilee and who was reinstated by him to his service in John chapter 21, verses 15 through 19. It is in this area of intercession that Christians, the people of the church, are priests because we cannot offer our lives on behalf of others for their salvation as Jesus Christ did. He is the only Savior, but we can pray for others and be heard just as Jesus was. Further, we can offer ourselves as living sacrifices, but which is what the Apostle Paul urges in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, which says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. My God, in this way, it is not only Israel, that was God's sanctuary, but the people of God's church also. We are also a nation of those in whom Jesus Christ rules. Revelations chapter 5 verse 10 says, you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. So how do we as Christians reign We reign in the same manner that Jesus reigned and continues to rule in our midst. And that is by serving others. Note that I did not say we reign by lording over people as a tyrant. No, we reign by working for the good of others because our rule is not found in privilege 
but in responsibility. How many of you know there's a difference? And our Psalm 114 text today, the second stanza is wonderfully poetic. The stanza captures the whole of the desert experience after God called his people out of Israel, Egypt like none other. It says, the sea looked and fled. The Jordan turned back. The mountains leaped like rams, the hills like lambs. The first line of this stanza refers to the parting of the Red Sea at the beginning of the journey when the people were on the run and being pursued by the Egyptian military army. When Moses stretched forth his hand over the Red Sea, a strong easterly wind blew so strong that it pushed the sea back and turned the bottom of the sea to dry land. After the people crossed over, the wind calmed down and the sea returned and the Egyptian army in pursuit of them, in pursuit of God's people, were drowned. Don't mess with God's people. The second line in this same stanza speaks of driving back the waters of the Jordan so that the people could cross over into Cana at the end of their desert years. The last two lines of this stanza, verse four says, the mountains leap like rams, the hills like lambs. This is a reference to the trembling of the earth when God came down on Mount Sinai to give the people the law. Exodus 19 uh, verses 18 and 19 says, Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him. The book of Hebrew reports that the sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. Moses was wise. The Bible says that the fear of the Lord is wisdom. The third stanza of our text talks about the sea parting, the rivers reversing its flow, the majestic peaks of Mount Sinai trembling. It says, why was it sea? that you fled? Why, Jordan, did you turn back? Why, mountains, did you leap like rams? You hills like lambs. Now, what do you suppose could have caused all of this? Well, let's look at the structure of the text. It is one long interrogatory sentence, but in Hebrew, they are actually four teasing questions because the author already knows the answer to the question. He's just, you know, asking them for effect. Second, notice that up until now, at no place in the Hebrew Psalm does the author mention God by name. Now, the English translators have added the possessive form of the word God in verse two, which says Judah became God's sanctuary. And I am judging that in English, it is improper to have a pronoun without a clear antecedent. 
but the word God is absent from the Hebrew text. The original only had the word his. So God has not been mentioned and there had been no mention of God's name, Yahweh or Jehovah. So back to my question, what do you suppose could have caused the sea to part, the rivers to reverse its flow or turn back, the majestic peaks of Mount Sinai to tremble? The answer to these questions come in the final stanza of our text, which says, tremble earth at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turned the rock into a pool, the hard rock into springs of water. We just read the answer to the questions in verse seven of our text. It was the presence of the Lord, the presence of the God of Jacob, who caused the sea to flood, caused the Jordan to turn back, caused the mountains to leap like rams and the hills like lambs. In this stanza, we see that seas, rivers, and mountains move only in the presence of their maker. It was God and God alone who brought his people out of Egypt, as we read in verse one, and who turned the rock into pool, the hard rock into spring water in verse eight. This third stanza is the climax of the entire Psalm and Christians have an excellent equivalent of this Psalm 14 in the New Testament text of Romans chapter eight, verses 31 through 39, where the apostle Paul is just as poetic as the psalmist when he asked the question, if God is for his people, who can possibly stand in their way to oppose them? The answer is nothing at all. Neither seas, nor rivers, nor mountains, nothing. In a similar way, also in Romans 8, the apostle Paul asked, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies, who then is the one who condemns no one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? It is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to the slaughter. Know in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, 
our Lord. You know, sometimes people accuse Christians of being unrealistic about the issues of life, but that is not true. When Paul wrote that nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God, that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He was not blind to reality or deaf to the hostile and destructive forces around him, and neither are we. On the contrary, we open our arms to these formidable forces and invite them to come forward because we know in our heart that they will never defeat God or succeed in separating us from his love and Jesus Christ. But will one day, although formidable, bow down before the presence of our God? Let us talk about some of the forces arrayed against us. First, trouble or tribulation, as the old King James Version of the Bible calls it. It means being pressed down by life so that you feel crushed. It could come in the form of abuse, loss, deprivation, or severe illness. But Paul says that no tribulation, however severe it may be, will separate you from the love of Christ. So when trouble comes, don't you forget it. Hardship, which is a different, little different from trouble. The Greek word hardship is composed of two separate words that mean a narrow space or territory. So the idea is not so much being pressed down or troubled as being confined. Say, for example, a man in a dead-end job with no opportunity for advancement. He wants to break free, but he has gotten older and has a daily obligation for his wife and children that he has to honor. He might feel confined. Or a single mother with a couple of children making demands on her as she struggles to survive on a meager income. And she knows that there is no immediate future for her beyond her current circumstance. She might feel confined. So how do you triumph over or uh, uh, how do you triumph under these circumstances? You survive by knowing that God has fixed his love on you and there is nothing that can separate you from him. Yes, you may be in narrow straits now, but you are an heir to heaven. And one day your horizon will be as vast as the universe and as soaring as the stars. Nothing can deprive you of your destiny. Another force against the believer is persecution. The Greek word for persecution denotes relentless attempts to do harm. Very few Christians suffer outright persecution in the United States as they do in other parts of the world. But there are more subtle forms of persecution that we do endure and that will no doubt become stronger and more open if the secularization trends in Western society continue. Two things the believer can be certain of regarding persecution. One, they are a normal response to Christian witness. And two, we will experience them to the extent we confront the world with Christ's claims. In John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus said, In this world, you will have tribulation, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have come to overcome the world. 
Persecution may separate us from a more lucrative worldly future or a more lucrative image before the world, but persecution will never separate us from Christ's love. Let's do one more. Another force against a believer is nakedness. Today, we think of nakedness as being in a state of undress, and it is often associated with sex or pornography. However, in the Apostle Paul's day, nakedness had to do with poverty. Poverty so severe, a person could not buy clothing. It was also a corresponding term to famine. And like famine, nakedness referred to economic hardship. There are many more forces against a believer, but when we consider just these few that come into our lives, it begs the question, how can Paul say that there is nothing that can separate us from Christ's love? It is because of the power of God before whom no evil can stand. And it is because of the nature of God's covenant love and view of that steadfast power and love, we may well look at the troubles of this life confident that nothing can separate us from Christ's love. For those who have not yet believed in Christ, again, the last stanza of our Psalm 114 text says, tremble earth at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turned the rock into the pool, the hard rock into spring water. It speaks of the earth trembling before the approach of God. What is startling and inexplicable is that human beings who are in far greater danger than the earth, which is actually in no danger at all, fail to do what the earth does. Human beings face judgment apart from Jesus Christ, yet they just go about their lives as if all is well with them and as if they do not need a savior. It this has been true of you. I encourage you to learn from nature, even if you will not learn anywhere else. I leave you with Psalm chapter two, verse 12, which says, kiss his son or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Broken Vessels, Mended and Whole. If this ministry has been a blessing to you and you want to support it, we have several ways in which you can do that. First, via the Tidely app at Broken Vessels, Mended and Whole. Second, at via Givelify, that's G-I-V-E-L-I-F-Y. You may donate to Broken Vessels hyphen Mended and Whole, or you may mail whatever gifts of love you feel led to give to Broken Vessels Mended and Whole. We are a 501c3 nonprofit religious organization located at P.O. Box 34637, Los Angeles, California, 90034. Please join me next week for another episode of Broken Vessels, Mended and Whole. And don't forget to check in with me on Facebook Live at Evangelist Janice. That's J-A-N-I-S Nelson today at 12 noon Pacific Daylight Time. In the meantime, take good care. May God continue to bless you.